0: I am your host, Christopher Calloway. Welcome to Creator Talks, the show where I interview writers and artists in comics and other mediums. Today, I am joined once again by Meredith Finch. She was on the show previously to talk about a series she was kicking off through Image Comics, Rose. She has also written for Xenoscope and DC Comics. Meredith's new series through Cave Pictures Publishing is The Light Princess. It will be a five-part series adapting the story by George MacDonald written in 1864. Joining Meredith to produce the series are Renee DeLiz and Ray Dillon, well known for their illustrations on The Legend of Wonder Woman. The story is about a princess, cursed with weightlessness, who finds rescue and redemption in the love and sacrifice of a prince. I talked to Meredith about the original book by George MacDonald and how she prepared to write this series, and how she connects with the themes of love, sacrifice, and redemption found in the story. I also talked to Meredith about the team of Renee and Ray and how they work together to produce the art for this book and the incredible uniqueness of the lettering. I ask Meredith how she has matured as a writer since she began working with Zenoscope in the early days of her career. We talk about the blog that she's writing to share and explore her faith and how that faith connects with the series that she writes. And then we kick back with the creator and ask all my fun questions. This episode is brought to you by The Comic Book Shop at 1855 Marsh Road Plaza 3 Shopping Center in Wilmington, Delaware, where comics are for everyone. Just be nice. So let's begin my interview with Meredith Finch, here now on Creator Talks. Meredith, welcome back to Creator Talks.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: I hope things have settled down for you. You found some peace and pockets of quiet each day. I know with the family, it's hard. We both know.
1: Yeah, true words.
0: Two boys, two and seven. You saw them during Baltimore one year, and it can be a little frustrating. A couple of stories for you just to kind of get warmed up here. My oldest son, Nolan, we said, Nolan, go brush your teeth, get ready for bed. He's brushing his teeth. Then we hear crash. Uh-oh. My wife and I look at each other, and we didn't hear any screaming or crying. So it's like, okay. He comes back in a half an hour later, oh. goes to the bathroom, comes in and says, something broke. Really? Yeah, just now. Something broke. <laughs> half an hour later. Yeah. I don't know what you call it. I said, okay. And my wife said, I'll go look. I said, okay, you go look. But she said, the shower curtain rod is completely off the wall. So he must have been swinging off the shower curtain rod. <laughs> Said, yeah, all right. And I said, you know, I'm upset not because he lied, because I have to fix it.
1: <laughs> you just need one of those tension rods, and then you're good to go. That was our solution.
0: That's exactly what my wife said, but I, I managed to get the screw back in the wall and kind of bang out the little collars that were bent and everything, so it's fine. I said, i got to spend money on a tension rod. <laughs> Let me try to fix it. I'm cheap.
1: <laughs> we, have a, we have a spiral staircase because we, too, have boys. And they, like every one of them, insists on sliding down the spiral from the top <laughs> all the way down to the bottom. And I just keep saying to them, what happens if you fall off at the top? It's hardwood. There's no safe landing. But So then I just tell them they can only get on halfway. Because <laughs> there's no stopping it from happening. You just have to control the flight.
0: can never stop them no (laughs) give them some when you said what happens if you fall do they have an answer they go yeah
1: basically
0: they don't think about it
1: i'm not gonna no it's the i'm not gonna fall but i'm not gonna fall mom Uh,
0: yeah right i'll be careful well the last time we got together to talk you were kicking off rose through image comics and i picked up 16 recently and it's going to end with number 17 right
1: it is i know it's hard to believe that it's been that long that you know two years or more, I think. So it's been so much fun. We've had such an amazing run with the book. The response to it's been so positive. The fans are so passionate, and it's sort of bittersweet. I said to Dave when I wrote the last issue, and I just got last week the last page from Ig, and it's so bittersweet to see it end because it was my first baby, I guess.
0: You said at the time that was your entire focus as far as writing output goes. You were working on that 100% focused, and the story's been great, and it's just – I think you working with Ig being in the consistent art team all the way through, just – it's going to be nice as a oversized, collected edition with all the issues together. Please say (laughs) that's going to happen someday.
1: (laughs) I will do my best.
0: I think it will be best read, you know, in one shot because you have to wait between issues, and I think in one shot it's a lot more fun, but – yeah. It's it's been great. It's been really great and uh, I'm going to miss it. It's been on the poll list for uh, you know a couple of years now, so
1: well, we'll have to just add some other things. <laughs> we'll just replace <laughs> one finch story with another finch story. <laughs> right.
0: You know, you've been doing more than that. You were working on Xena uh, through Dynamite too.
1: Oh, that was so much fun. I love Xena as a girl growing up. We didn't have cable. I grew up in the country, so to get a show like Xena that was sort of not Canadian. Because again, we also only just mostly got Canadian channels. Mm-hmm. So to have something like Xena growing up was really, really special. That was the one thing that you'd hit the VCR to record it so you could rewatch it because i date myself. But yeah, <laughs> I, and it was so fun to go back and revisit those characters. And, and then I got to meet at Fan Expo Toronto last year. I got to meet Lucy Lawless and um, Renee... Uh,
0: I lose my geek card because I don't know.
1: Uh, I'm, I'm <laughs> I know losing, who you mean. <laughs> losing it. It's, all those Xena fans are crying right now. <laughs> O'Connor. Yeah, it was fantastic. And they were super sweet. And I think she reads them. Like Lucy Lawless said, oh, I love the way your husband draws me. He always makes me look so good. That was one area of my television
0: watching pop culture. I never really spent a lot of time watching things like Buffy, Charmed. Uh, movies like Lord of the Rings. Not that I didn't like them or I didn't think they weren't great stuff. It just was something I didn't gravitate towards. But I did catch some Xena here and there. And when I read the comic, I'm like, you've got the voice perfectly. You know, cool. I mean, it, it was very easy to just get into it. And I, I really enjoyed it a lot. And you, you worked on it for a while. And then you handed the reins over to Erica Schultz.
1: She's so talented. Yeah, she did a great job. And I would have loved to have kept writing Xena. But I had at the time – I always say that I can do two books a month. That's sort of my limit that I can manage, still be sane and take care of all the mom, wife tasks that Mm -hmm. I have to do. And when I had agreed to do Xena, when I talked to Matt Idelson, it was kind of like it was going to be five issues. And we didn't really know if it was going to go beyond that. And so I took another project on which was Light Princess, which we're also going to talk about tonight, I had taken that on starting February of last year. So it kind of was, at one time, I think I had like maybe January, February, I had three issues that I had to write because I was wrapping Xena and I still had Rose and then I was doing the Light Princess. and, And I was very disappointed that I couldn't continue on Xena. But at the same point, I was very excited about this new project, too, that, that I'm working on. So, and I knew Erica. She was in good hands mm-hmm. with Erica. And, they, and Vicente stayed on, so everything was consistent. Yes,
0: it was a very smooth transition. And see, the problem was you did too good a job, and they wanted oh. more issues, see.
1: <laughs> Darn myself.
0: <laughs> but as you said, coming up next will be The Light Princess. That's February 27th, I think, is issue one through Cave Pictures Publishing.
1: Yeah, somebody told me that book comes out the same day Rose finishes, because we pushed the last issue of Rose because it's a bigger-sized issue. Ah. So it's like a beginning and an end all on the same day. Now, when was the
0: first time you heard about this new publisher, Cave Pictures Publishing? Their motto, their their mission is to producing content that is spiritually meaningful.
1: Yes, I had gotten an email, I want to say last December, from john Nee, who is with marvel now but was working with cave at that time introducing himself and he had known david back from the top cow days and image days and saying that he was working for a new publisher and they were interested in me potentially doing some writing for them at first i, I talked to david i'm like who is this guy do you know him and he's like oh yeah yeah i know you talk to john he he's a good guy and he he's legit because that's always the question when somebody sort of emails you out of the blue Mm -hmm. with an idea like is this person and a new publishing company and so I got back to him and we talked a little bit and then when he told me what the premise of the company was it was almost like the the email I remember reading the email that he sent me that sort of gave me an outline of, of the company and the fact that they were spiritually involved and they wanted to put out stories that were meaningful and and spiritually significant I read the email I couldn't even say anything for a minute and then I turned to David and I had David read the email because it was almost word for word, a prayer that I had prayed about what I wanted my work to become or where I wanted my work to go. And something that also that Dave and I had talked a lot about because spirituality and, and my faith is very important to me. And I felt like it was something that I wasn't able to or hadn't incorporated in, in my work in the way that I wanted to. I was, but in the way that I was maybe feeling called to. And Rose was sort of the initial foray into exploring that and what that might look like, which is why I always say C.S. Lewis is such a huge influence on me because he did that so beautifully in his line the Witch, and the Wardrobe series. So to have them reach out to me and to get that email, I just, it was almost like God speaking to me is I, how I felt that because the way the email was written and, and the words and the and the intention were so close to what I had been hoping for and wanting for my work, it felt like a miracle.
0: Your prayers were answered. They
1: were. It was, (laughs) yeah.
0: Yeah, well, for those who don't know, The Light Princess was written by George MacDonald back in 1864. He was a Scottish minister and he's considered the godfather of fantasy and he influenced C.S. Lewis. And as you said, C.S. Lewis is one of your favorites. That was uh, last time we spoke, one of your island books was by C.S. Lewis, the one you just mentioned. Yep. And this story was influenced by Sleeping Beauty. So you're familiar with George McDonald's work. And The Light Princess has three basic themes, love, sacrifice, and redemption. How is the comic going to address each one?
1: Before I even started working on The Light Princess, like I read the story initially just to get an idea of what it was I was looking at. And then I went back and I got a lot of works from George McDonald that were letters and sermons and religious writings that he had done. There's quite a lot out there just to get an idea into his mindset and his take on spirituality and life so that I could make sure that I was doing something that was true to his purpose or intent for the book. And the idea of really those themes really, I feel like we did a very good job of putting them into every character and throughout the book so that in a lot of ways, sort of the the idea in my mind was always Jesus. That idea of sacrificial love, and that, I think that really is where you see this. Each character within the book has these moments where they exemplify that messianic ideal of of sacrificial love, that love that knows no boundaries and will hold nothing back. I don't want to give away too much of the book and, and the intent. But it really is the point at which I think the whole story pivots around. You
0: do see in the first issue some sacrifices that go on in the name of love. Yeah. Very difficult decisions. And then what happens to the princess? So you get a good foundation at that first issue about the story. And it's a really good start. And you have two people working with you, Ray DeLiz and Ray Dillon. They're producing the illustrations for the book. They worked on the legend of Wonder Woman. Tell me... About your collaboration with the art team, is it different from how you collaborated on Rose and Zena?
1: It really isn't I because when I write, I think it it helps that I'm married to an artist. So as a writer, I never have a really like I have an idea in my head of what everything's gonna look like. but my first communication with my artist is always, and I've worked with amazing artists so I'm able to do this is to say to them, if you have a way that you think that this scene, will work better or that you would prefer to draw it because you're the visual storyteller at the end of the day. I want you to do that. I want you to feel free to do that. And I was able to do that with Vicente. I was able to do that with Ig. And I was able to do that with Renee and with Ray. The thing that's really special about working with Renee and Ray is they elevate each other because they're married as well. They elevate each other in a way that you would see Renee's drawings and you'd be like, oh, this looks so beautiful. And you couldn't possibly imagine how they could be better. And then Ray would do the colors and it would just take it to that that next level. And then he hand-lettered that entire series. And that really just... It, seeing that done and and you've you've seen it, so you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. Yeah. it's another piece of art on the book. I felt like at the end of the day, every time I would see a page, that this was just something that transcended itself, like the sum of it was of the whole was greater than its parts like it just it's such an incredibly beautiful book. I feel so blessed that I can say that about really every project I've worked on. Like, I thought Rose was so beautiful. The, the work that Egg and Triona did together, I just, it's a beautiful book to look at. And this is the same. It just is gorgeous. And again, that hand lettering just, I think, takes it to a whole nother level.
0: Well, when I saw the preview of it from Cave Publishings, I picked up a copy at Baltimore Comic-Con last year. I was struck by the art right off the bat. I saw your name and then I looked at it and I was like, oh, well, she did it again. The marriage between the pencils and the colors... Are just gorgeous. It lets mm-hmm. the pencil work show through. And I'm so happy to see a colorist that that color is adding some dimensionality to the art, but it's not crushing it, which I've seen happen. You know, I've seen work black and white, then colors added. And I was like, oh, I like that preview on black and white better. But this, they work together so well. I mean, even like the fur in the king's cape, mm-hmm. it looks like fur. And the Mm -hmm. lettering, as you mentioned, I was wondering how he did that. And I was going to say, was that his idea? And clearly it was because he wanted to letter the whole thing by hand with different fonts depending upon what he was talking about or what he was emphasizing. Not just emphasis, but what he's talking about. That I noticed. Because normally good lettering, I don't really notice. It's not in the way. It's not obtrusive. But this is just as much as part of the story, taking your words and putting them in the mouths of the characters and it's just amazing not just the shape of the balloon but the actual lettering itself and that is something that's kind of a dying art to hand letter
1: it was spectacular
0: now this is going to be a five part series and what do you hope besides selling very well that this series will accomplish with you and your art team what do you hope that people get from this story who may not be familiar with George MacDonald's work. And by the way, this is a great way to get people familiar with it.
1: I guess I wanted to do a couple of things. I think it's a book that's really accessible for a lot of people. So it's a book that you can sit down with your son or your daughter as young as two, and you can all appreciate it together as a family. But I also hope on some level that just like The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and that whole C.S. Lewis Narnia series – gave people an accessible way of understanding the idea of behind Christianity and Jesus and that sort of sacrifice through Aslan. I hope that there in some way that you get that kind of idea through this book as well. Cause I think that really is the intent. Like it's not meant to be overtly spiritual and in your face, but it is meant to be there as a takeaway If you want to take it away, if you want to just read it for the fact that it's a fun fairy tale that has everything you want a fairy tale to have strong female leads, strong characters, sacrifice, evil queens, like it's got everything you want in a fairy tale story. But there's an underlying current that I think adds something more that's there if you're looking for it and you want to see that in it.
0: I love comics of many different kinds of genre. I love the ones that are just straight-out action fun, and I like the ones that are based on adaptations. And this one, like we talked about last time, Rose, does have that all-ages kind of appeal to it. And I do love stories that have something deeper behind them, a deeper message. And I also love seeing an adaptation like that. I think it brings out writers' work that many people have probably forgotten over the decades and centuries and brings them back to the forefront so people can become familiar with them and maybe they'll read something else by them, you know, and they'll dig further into it.
1: And George MacDonald is, I mean, I love C.S. Lewis's writing. C.S. Lewis, his writing is intellectual. Like, it's an intellectual for the common man, because that was the idea behind it. But George MacDonald's writing is heart for the common man. Like, there's just a warmth and a lovingness and, and a genuineness. He's sometimes not the most eloquent writer, but the sincerity that comes off the page when you read his writing, I think is hard to deny. And and something that I wish more people, I love that we're doing this so that it exposes more people to him.
0: Now you have worked through DC, Dynamite, Image, back in the day, Xenoscope, and now Cave Pictures Publishing. And I don't want to be the one that says, so what's next? So what's next? But I am wondering, since Cave Publishing aligns so much with your own beliefs and what you really want to get out of your work, what you hope it does produce, do you have just in the back of your head other ideas that may fit in with, say,
1: K-Publishing? Well, I'm actually working already on another project for them. Ah, So as soon as I finished Light Princess, we immediately started talking about another project. So I'm working on another five-issue story. Wish I could say more, but I can't. But I am going to do something with them. My guess, because we're still looking, I'm just turned in issue three, but we're still working on finding the right artist for the project. So, you know, my guess is it won't be out till probably the end of this year, maybe again early next year. Just because Cave really with their publishing plan, they're not trying to be the publisher that puts out 20 books a month. They're Mm -hmm. trying to be really selective so that each book they put out gets a hundred percent of the attention for that month. You know what I mean? When they're introducing their books, they're very committed to the success of each and every one of their products. So, so yes, there's something else coming up from cave. And then I'm also working on something with a big publisher that's coming out, but I can't say anything about it. And then another creator own project um, that will be more in lines of sort of what I'm doing with Cave, something that's spiritually significant to me. I put a couple mm-hmm. little teasers out there on Instagram and Facebook. It's going to be a graphic novel. It won't be done as like, a monthly. It'll be one big graphic novel because I felt like the story that I'm telling needed to be told in a complete, like it'll be chaptered. For somebody to pick up issue one, it's quite enough that you wouldn't necessarily pick up issue two. You need the whole story. So I'm working on that. And that again, is kind of artist dependent. So so maybe the end of this year, maybe next year, it's hard to say.
0: Now writing a graphic novel, for you as the writer, does it really make much of a difference? Because you're working way ahead of the artists, obviously. I mean, you have everything plotted out, outlined, and then you begin scripting. But does it make a difference to you working on an OGN versus a monthly?
1: It doesn't, no. Because I set myself goals of what I want to accomplish every month. I'm so much an an internal deadline driven person. It doesn't really make a difference. It'll make a difference in the packaging. It makes a difference in the sense that I don't need to limit myself like the first chapter isn't 20 pages or 22 pages. It's 26 or 32 or however each chapter is however long I need it to be. So in that way, you know, there's a little bit of a difference. But in terms of Getting stuff done and the writing process, it doesn't because I'm too much of a a type A personality that I've, I've got my list of like what needs to be done this week, what needs to be done next week.
0: Well, it's working for you because reading Rose, and we're almost finished that series, the pacing with each issue, nothing feels truncated. It feels like the right stopping point for that cliffhanger, for that moment to carry over to the next month. So you really have down that pacing when you're doing a monthly, when it's broken out that way, that it feels connected when they're all put together, yet they stand alone very well. How did you go about developing that ability to find the right stopping point for each issue?
1: I learned a lot working on Rose, but I, I, I feel like Dave and I'll sit and we'll watch TV and he'll be watching, I'll be watching I'll say, Oh, X, Y, Z is going to happen next. Or this, this is what's going to happen. And he'll he'll say, what are you talking about? And then that will happen. So it's almost like the more, the more you write, like, I think it's like, you just hone that skill and you don't even realize you're honing that skill. Just like when you're practicing handwriting, your handwriting is terrible when you're learning to write. But then over time, you just keep doing it. And you don't even notice that it's getting better and better, but because you're just constantly doing it, it's getting better. And I think that has really happened for me with my writing. I'm always writing something every month. Sometimes it's two things. Sometimes it's three things. I'm always doing something. And then I have a blog that I'm doing now. So the more that you do something, I think the more you just naturally, you hone that those skills. I feel very blessed that I've been able to have a knack for when to put those cliffhangers in. I would say too, when I, when I was doing the cave books, they tend to do a lot. And even with Rose, I tend to do a lot of reflecting and I, I pray before I write those books. I kind of do the whole bigger than I am. You can do infinitely more than you can ask or imagine. So I always throw that out there, Lord. I could do infinitely more than I could ask or imagine with your help. (laughs) I think I just try to, to be in the moment to always give it my best when I'm doing it, and then there's a point at which you you have to just take that leap and not be afraid. So I think that's part of the writing, especially with Rose. It was a lot of sort of taking that leap and just going for it.
0: And it sounds too like when you and David are watching television, you're kind of internalizing everything and you're still enjoying it, but you're analyzing it. You're kind of looking at how the director is putting this together and how the story is being developed. In some way, you're kind of looking at the engineering of it, too.
1: Yeah, it's worse now because when I watch shows, I'll be like, oh, that dialogue is so bad. <laughs> what line, my. Or why didn't anybody see this huge plot hole? It's, it is that Oh, I will say. It's much harder to just sit back and just enjoy something when you're constantly dissecting your own work. It just is a natural thing that you start dissecting. Other people's work. But on that note, too, I think it's really important as a writer to have a really great editorial team. And with Cave, the editorial team for Light Princess is fantastic. And I ended up working with two amazing editors on Rose, Andy Schmidt and Jeremy Raddick, who helped me with the last two arcs. So, or the last arc. So, I think that if you really want to be successful as a writer, it is so important to find somebody who will be critically honest with you about what you're doing well and what you're doing wrong and of course Dave is always the first one to tell me what I'm doing wrong so (laughs) he's always very good at telling me what I'm doing right too but he's always the first one who'll go through anything I write and and tell me when something's not working or something's really bad or something's really good
0: that's very important to have a good editor and to have someone give you feedback because they know about the business they know about the writing now, in my case, I don't need somebody who's in the business, but I'll just ask my wife who doesn't really follow anything that I follow, and I'll say, listen to this, what I did. Does that make sense to you? Does it sound okay? And she'll be brutally honest, too, if something doesn't yeah. sound right. So, but I like that because she knows nothing about the subject matter. So I said, okay, you're the average person. Just look at it from that standpoint. Do you like it?
1: What's your gut reaction? Your instant gut reaction. That's usually the most honest and and the most helpful.
0: You know, since you began as a writer, and I guess, as we had said earlier, Xenoscope was probably your first published work. Is that correct? Yes. How do you think you've matured and developed as a writer since that first day working with them and now?
1: I think I understand story and the execution of storytelling so much more one of the things that i found really challenging to do um, when i first started was see a story from the beginning all the way through to the end and i think that's very common with a lot of writers you have like this really detailed beginning of how your story is going to start but the farther out into the story you go the less details the more nebulous it becomes. And so I would say that in terms of my writing, what I've improved on the most is that process. So I always knew with Rose what my ending was going to be. I always knew where I was going to get. And then I gave myself permission to, to deviate from the path, you know, within an issue if I felt like one character or another needed more story or to expand their story. But I always knew where I was going with it. And because of that, I was able to pull in pieces and weave little things into it. And it's those little nuances that if you don't know where you're going, you can't put them in. And you'll see more of that even through Light Princess and this next project that I'm working on with Cave and and also with the bigger publisher stories I've got coming out in the new year or this year sometime. So yeah, so I think that's really where I feel like I've grown the most. In addition to writing comics,
0: you had mentioned you're writing a blog, and this blog examines God and life. You're sharing your thoughts about that, your faith as a Christian, and that's something very personal. So why did you decide to begin doing that? How has it helped your faith? And have you heard any feedback from others how it's maybe helped them?
1: I think it was Fan Expo last year. I was talking, Dave's got a friend who lives in Toronto, and I was talking to his wife, and she was going through, you know, some struggles. And we were talking about them and we she's very has a very strong faith as well. And we were kind of chatting about it and she's like, "I wish would you email me?" Cuz I was just doing daily Bible readings. Like I sort of wanted to go through and I was finding things like reading through all the books in the New Testament. I started with the letters of Paul and and then going back and taking one of the gospels one at a time and sort of going back and forth between them. And she's like, would you, would you email me some of what you're reading? Because I had had a journal that I always keep with me where I jot down verses that I find over the course of my reading during the day significant. And I was like, of course, I'd be happy to. And so as I was you know, typing up an email, several emails to her over the, the next week or two, I thought, well, if this is helpful to her and it's helpful to me, maybe it would be helpful to somebody else. And I do feel, again, you get called to do things. And I always, at times in my life where I take another step or make another move in my spiritual journey, I feel like those are times where I've been called to make that step or to move forward in something and and step out of my comfort zone. So that was really the the impetus for me starting the blog. And then I thought, if I'm going to do it and it's going to be helpful, I have to be honest about my spiritual struggles and the things I go through because otherwise – There's really no point. Go to church and you can have somebody preach at you. Nobody, that's not what this was meant to be. It was sort of meant to be, this is my journey. These are the things that I question and the things I struggle with. And if they're helpful for you, that's great. I kind of looked at it like I put it out there and if somebody reads it, it's because God intended for them to read that post that day because I have no control over who reads it. Those are the kinds of things where it's a letting go of the control that I sometimes like to have too much of. That's really how I approach it. And I have had lots of people reach back out to me as a result of that blog. Say things like I've had somebody say, I've lost a child and we've been struggling and I read your blog today and it really helped me. Or I've been really struggling with my work and my faith and I read your blog today and it really helped me. Times where I struggle, I'll get feedback from people saying, you're doing a great job, keep it up. If I post something where I seem like I'm down on myself, somebody will send me like a song because I'm always posting songs in my blog. Somebody will send me, this is my favorite song or, or here's a link that I think would be helpful that you would really enjoy. So I feel like it, it kind of develops a little community. It's been positive, I think, for me and hopefully for people who come across it and take the time or feel compelled or called to read it. Besides
0: writing your blog with your thoughts, on spirituality and God. You also set aside time, as you said, to read scripture and for prayer. That is something you do early in the morning before the family gets up.
1: Yes. So though the new year, I have to be honest, I've been sleeping in later and doing it when I get home from the gym. (laughs) Okay. But I do always do it before I work because I feel like it's important. I, I feel like you have to make time for the things that are important. And if I don't make time for that, then I can't. Sit there at night and watch TV. Like, I could waste hours flipping through Facebook, or I could spend, you know, 15 or 20 minutes or half an hour, however long it takes to center myself and give myself something that's meaningful
0: for me. Do you find the best time to get centered is starting in the morning? Does it carry throughout your day better if you do it then?
1: It does. It really does. And in fact, this morning I woke up and I was kind of feeling bummed and I had a little bit of time because I was up a little early to sit down and do some reading. And I felt like it changed the day that I would have had to take that time and focus on having God in my life and letting go of the negativity or or the fears that were weighing me down and just focusing on what was really important. I do feel like it can really take a day that might otherwise have been a bad day and, and turn it around. And it's hard to find time. I look at it like exercise. You have to make time for exercise, and then it feels good. It's so easy to put it off, but doing it all the time. When you carve out a section of your time to do it, you don't even know that you missed the time. You feel like you lost something if you didn't do it. And For me, that daily Bible reading and time of spiritually reaching out, It makes its own time. I miss it if I don't have it. I
0: know what you mean. I can really, working out every day is important to me. If I don't, I am off. So I try to take a day not to do it, just to take some pressure off and that's Mm -hmm. Sunday. And I do other things on Sunday. For me every day, and I was really good at this for a while and I got away from it and I just said, I'm going to do it. And like I had read in your blog, you don't wait for New Year's Day to make a resolution. If you're into resolutions, I start when it's time to do it. I got back to my meditation in the morning before everyone's up that way. I know it gets done. I'm in the right frame of mind. And whether you are a person of faith or not, let's just say you're a person of faith. Well, God doesn't talk to me. That's crazy. Well, what you need to do, first of all, whether you're a faith or not, try prayer or meditation and stop thinking. Just empty your head and see what comes in it's so hard not to let your mind wander and you really think about that are you present people say yes i'm present no are you thinking about what you did yesterday are you thinking about what you have to do later on today are you really in the moment that is hard to do but that's when you discover things that you weren't aware of so that's the best way prayer meditation to do it depending upon your faith i highly recommend that because i'll tell you what like you i feel centered You have to do it regularly, consistently. And then when the kids freak out, I'm like, stop that. Now, that's not me. I am not that calm. But when I meditate, you are more aware of your body and how it reacts. You can kind of take – like everything slows down. You can be like, don't say that to your mom. You know, It's it's like, this is nice. I don't freak out.
1: (laughs) I sometimes think to myself, am I having an out-of-body experience right now? Because I'm far too calm. For the situation that's happening in front of me right now. So, yeah, yeah, it's true. You do get that sense of... I mean, of course, we all lose it at times, too. And people who read my blog know I throw that out there all the time. But, yeah, it does. It gives you that sense of awareness, I think. Mm -hmm.
0: Yes, exactly. I haven't talked about this on the show before, but on Sundays, that is uh, church day for me. I used to do this, and I got away from it. And like you say, sometimes... God speaks to you, what have you. And and I'm like, I should get back to this. So what I started doing was lecturing again in church. There's a small church near me. So I do that every few weeks. Initially, just so i learned how to speak publicly, you know, <laughs> get over nerves. But what is cool about that is you have your readings. Of course, I'm reading to other people, so I have to really know what I'm reading about. So there's an explanation of the history at the time that Psalm was written or letter from St. Paul, what have you. And it explains to you what the message is, why it was written, and who it was for. And then I read it as if I'm back then and I'm speaking to the people. I really know what it's about, versus just reading. So for me now, it's I learn a lot more myself doing that, and I think it conveys the message better to other people. Almost like in, like Princess, how the lettering tells the story just as much as the words. It's the way the letters are in the book. So the way the words are said in the reading is very important. I've learned a lot just doing that. And you get to explore your faith a lot more just by, like, you do Bible study. I'm reading each scripture that week and really paying attention to it and seeing what's the message. Who yeah. is it for? So before I just sit there like, okay, has it has been an hour, you know, and I'm not paying attention. I'm just kind of zoning out. But if I don't zone out, people don't zone out. You know, if I'm reading and I'm really focused, they're awake.
1: I have a study Bible. So beginning of all the letters of Paul, it gives you a little synopsis, probably exactly the same thing that you're looking at in front of all the gospels and all the books. They give you a little, and I love that. It makes it more personal and it helps you get into it. I think the thing that helped me too was the Bible. I think it's on Netflix and A.D., Because they're sort of reenactments of biblical stories. When I was first getting back into reading the Bible, it made it human. Not, you know, the King James speech version that is hard to relate to sometimes. To make it something
0: living. That's always been the whole point. It's been the living word. The King James version, it really separates you from the word because it's is it written for me or is this written for people in the middle ages so that really does go a long way and i think more so than just here's the plain english modern version which i think we all had those back in the 70s and 80s like this the good news and it was uh, little cartoons in it yep but i think if you know about the people at the time that to me brings it alive knowing you know what were they feeling what were they going through yeah, and look what they're saying—how strong their faith is, and how positive they're being. So that really brings it to life. It's not just a reading any longer, or just a Bible passage. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that was heavy, but you know what, folks? This is <laughs> Creator Talks, right? <laughs> right? right? So that,
1: that's we right. Talking about the Creator. Creator's can... talking. Last time you
0: we were on, we answered uh, fun questions that I had, and last time we talked for rest and relaxation, you like to knit. Are you still knitting? And what have you knit lately?
1: I haven't knit anything lately. My new form of rest and relaxation has four legs. And and I have to go a goodly distance to go and visit her. This past October, I ended up purchasing a horse, which I used to ride all the time when I was in high school and as a young woman. And I never thought I would do it again. And then we were looking for an activity for Isaac, who is our youngest and not at all athletically inclined. And I thought, well, maybe we could try horseback riding. And I wasn't out there for one lesson where I was like, oh, I need to ride again. And then one thing led to another. And so that is my new rest and relaxation. I visit my horse and I ride and spend time with her. And so it's like a two for one, though, because I also get exercise.
0: That's so funny, because my wife, Meredith, used to do horseback riding when she was in high school.
1: I feel like your wife and I were living parallel lives. We have the same Mm -hmm. name, the same passions.
0: Yeah, there's a park nearby my house, State Park, and she took me down. This was like years ago when we were first married. She took me to the uh, park where they had a stable where she used to ride, and she actually went to visit one of the horses that was still around. Yeah, she used to ride competitively and stuff.
1: Oh, that's amazing. Well, tell her it's never too late. If I can start at 45... She has time to. The kids just have to be a little older. Mine are 10 and 15, so yours are much younger. Yours are still labor intensive.
0: But when she's 45, then, you know, that might be just the right time to do it. Yeah. Now that's in the future. That's a future birthday. So speaking of birthdays, what a segue. Speaking of birthdays, what was your favorite birthday and why?
1: Oh my gosh. I'm not a big birthday person. I am, but I'm not because when I was a kid, that was always disappointing.
0: Because, uh, <laughs> you know, you,
1: I would always get in trouble on my birthday, always, because you have this idea that you're the princess, and then somebody, usually your mother, says, uh, uh, no, you're not. (laughs) Yes, it's your birthday, but no, you don't get away with anything. So (laughs) let's say my last birthday, because Isaac is old enough now that he made me breakfast, and he brought it up on a tray with a little note, and he buttered my toast and made me tea, and Those kinds of things, the older I get, the more important those sorts of things are. You sort of shift your priorities. And so let's say my last birthday.
0: That is really nice. Breakfast in bed made by the kids. That's great. That's really nice. Now, if you think back to when you were in middle school, what posters or pictures did you put on the bedroom wall?
1: Horse pictures. I had horse posters. Absolutely. I think there was one where like horse was running through a field of green, you know, I probably had like a horse calendar, which I chopped every month out because I didn't really care what day it was. I just wanted the picture to put on the wall. That definitely was horse pictures in middle school. Not New Kids on the Block. That was my sister's (laughs) room.
0: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Now, we already know your Desert Island book. That is C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yeah. And you're sticking with that. Yes. Okay. Now, the new question is, this is hypothetical also, if Cave Publishing said, hey, we're going to make an action figure of you. Meredith, what is your accessory?
1: It's not a good one, but it's my phone. It's practical. It's my phone. You know, it's one of those things. We have our oldest has special needs, and last year we were at the gym, and I left my phone at home, and something happened at school, and they tried to call me, and my phone was at home. They tried to call the home number. We were at the gym, and then they were trying to find what gym we were at because they called my sister, and then it was a huge fiasco. So ever since then. I go nowhere without my phone. So that is my accessory, that and my wooden spoon.
0: Your wooden spoon?
1: (laughs) But don't tell my children. No. Yeah. Okay.
0: (laughs) Okay. So that's not for cooking?
1: No. no. Okay.
0: I got you. I got you.
1: (laughs) No. I don't need a wooden spoon for that. That's what your hand is for.
0: I see. (laughs) Okay. Well, now the phone is the modern technology. Now, you think about technology, what do we no longer use? That you miss the most. Maybe it was from another decade, like the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. Something, it's considered obsolete today. But you kind of miss it. You kind of like that. Can you think of any technology that you say, I wish we still had that.
1: You know what? I wish that phones were attached to the wall. I wish they were still attached to the wall. Because then you would always know where it was when it rang. Yeah. We have... Three home phones and never is one in the charger or charged when the phone is ringing. Whatever one is closest to you is dead. Guaranteed. (laughs) And then you are running like a crazy person trying to locate one of the other two.
0: See, we don't have one anymore. It's all cell phones. We have no landline.
1: We're the last of the old timers here with the landline, I guess, but we still have
0: it. You know what? You might be the only ones who have a phone if there's ever a problem. You might be having the old POTS line. You guys might be just fine.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Except that, you know, it needs to be charged.
0: Yeah, well, there's that. (laughs) We know about Rose. We know about Xena. We know about the light princess. So, and I think I can probably figure out when, but if you could go back in time and live during any period in time, not a specific historical date but i mean just a certain era what would it be
1: oh the middle ages for sure mm-hmm. okay. like the renaissance england or even no you know what not even then back in like the baroque period what, what is it 1200s 1400s mm-hmm. somewhere in that like the time of king henry the eighth back then i know it was all like everybody died from everything getting the cold and the flu and every but i just love the dresses and the costumes and the formality and I'd have to be, you know, a princess or, or rich. I wouldn't want to be poor if I lived back then because that was terrible. But if I could live back then and be rich and have all that fun, beautiful stuff, I would do that.
0: Hey, it's good to be the king if you're back then, you know. I mean, I, right? I, I want to be wealthy too.
1: If I'm going to <laughs> if if go back, I mean, let's just do it.
0: Now, we discussed your beverage of choice last time. Now, this time of year, it's probably the red wine. Yes. Sticking with that.
1: Although, we just got back from vacation and I had, I enjoyed my share of mimosas. Where did you travel? We went to Playa Mujeres, Mexico. It was our very first week that neither one of us brought work in our entire marriage. Good for you. It was glorious. I did not move off my chair for seven days, except to go and eat.
0: (laughs) When we would travel, I turn off my work email. I don't want to see because if I see it, you know, I'll just start getting wrapped up in it. I may say, okay, at this time, either in the morning or evening, I'm going to just go ahead and check, bloat everything, but I'm not going to keep checking all day. It'll ruin it, you know.
1: Yes, I do know. <laughs> and
0: people respect that. They understand. Yep, they want you refreshed and ready to go when you're back.
1: I highly recommend it.
0: And your spouse will appreciate it too.
1: <laughs> and he did. <laughs>
0: Final question. What is one question that you have not been asked in an interview, something you want people to know about you that they don't know, and it just hasn't come up in conversation?
1: This may have covered it, really, because we talked about God and my faith, and I like to talk. I'm a fairly open book, so I don't have any deep, dark secrets. I think everybody, if you, I think, I have nothing. I wish I, I wish I could be mysterious. Oh, nobody's asked me this. Nobody's asked me who my favorite child is. What oh. one? So. <laughs> Except my children. My children ask me all the time which one is my favorite, or they just tell me that they are my favorite. Yeah, I got nothing. If it's out there, that's what. You, that's there. It what, is. There it is. That's okay. me.
0: <laughs> well, speaking of children, my daughter's birthday is February twenty eighth. And she will be 25, so I will finally get her age right when I mention it on the podcast. And your book, The Light Princess, comes out the day before on February 27th, so I won't forget.
1: It's a great birthday present.
0: Yes, it is. I have pre-ordered, so it will be in my, my pull box when it comes in. And I look forward to it. The first issue is great, folks. If you've read Meredith's work before, the hits just keep coming. You're going to be very happy with this. And it is a gorgeous book. And it is a very meaningful book. So I hope that you do get a chance to read it and you get something out of it. Meredith, thanks so much for being on Creator Talks.
1: Thank you so much for having me again, Christopher. I really appreciate it. It's always so much fun talking to you.
0: And in the weeks ahead, I have two more creators coming up who are also doing work through Cave Pictures Publishing. Billy Tucci. He is well-known for his work. On the creator-owned series She, which is over 25 years old now. And he produced a gorgeous mini-series about Sergeant Rock, The Lost Battalion. So I will discuss those with Billy, including his current series running through Cave Pictures Publishing, Appalachian Apocalypse. We will talk about another zombie series he's going to fund through a Kickstarter, Zombie Sama, that's currently running right now. You can check that out on Kickstarter. And another Kickstarter he has planned further down the road about another zombie story. So it is a zombie fest with Billy on that show. And then I have also coming up Ethan Nicole. He's the artist on Appalachian Apocalypse, but he also is known for his work on Axe Cop, through Dark Horse Comics. We will talk about that and his webcomic, Bear Maggeden. Now, these interviews will be separate episodes because of their commitments and their difference in time zones. I couldn't get them together at the same time, but I will have some fun with that when we kick back with the creator and ask my fun questions of my guests and even further ahead i have an interview with an artist working on a pop culture icon series from the 1970s and i also talked to a writer artist about a crime noir story that they're writing and i also talked to a local artist who has worked on a few anthologies that i've spoken about on the show and also is producing cover illustrations for books i hope you enjoyed today's show if you liked it please rate and or review on itunes every little bit helps and if there are other podcasts that you listen to Rate and review them as well. Let people know that you like them. Please give them your support as well. This show is available for free on iTunes. Just click subscribe so you don't miss a single interview. It's also on Google Play, Stitcher, YouTube, and Alexa Amazon devices. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at CraterTalksPod. That's at CraterTalksPod. And on the weekends, Saturday, Sunday, I post my Saturday Silver Age and Sunday Bronze Age Comics from my collection and I've been diversifying that collection. The comic book shop, the sponsor of the show, had a sale this past weekend and I went over there and bought more comics, especially looking to some DC comics that I've never read, I've heard a lot about and I'm really interested in some of the artists on those books that I never really followed, including Jim Aparo and Nick Cardi. So I'll be posting those in the weeks ahead. And please share yours with me. If you'd like to send me an email, that's contact at creatortalks.com That's contact at creatortalks.com Thank you for joining me this week. For Creator Talks, this has been Christopher Calloway. Until next time.